Just a note to say that this is the first podcast I recorded after learning the news of the death of Anthony Fletcher Goldspink, a.k.a. Anthony Townsend, who you may remember was great fun on Happy Times and Places, celebrating with Machulan the virtues of Time and the Rani. Anthony was a one-off, and although you can't tell, I think, from what I say in the forthcoming broadcast, I just wanted to note Anthony's passing and to rage, rage against the dying of that incandescent light in the only way I know how, which is to watch and enjoy Doctor Who and try to be positive about it. But as I say, I just wanted to acknowledge Anthony in some small way. Oh, welcome to happy times and places under the sea, as I, Toby Haydock, try to watch an episode of Doctor Who and to celebrate its virtues whilst trying to guess my special guest's favourite things about the particular episode. Hello, uh, my name's Stephen Hatcher. Uh, I'm the uh, coordinator of the Hoover's Doctor Who group based in Derby. And for the last 11 years, uh, I've been the organiser of the Hooverville Convention. Over the years, I've done a bit of writing as well. Uh, I wrote five stories for Big Finish Short Trips books. Toby, what I've got for you is the Sea Devils. Well, hello, everybody. It's time for another episode of Doctor Who, part three of the Sea Devils. So... Whether you have it on Britbox or on shiny DVD or even Blu-ray, if you're listening in the future, it's not out on Blu-ray as I record this, please press uh, play or select or whatever you would like to press in three, two, one. There we go. Oh, that's quite loud, isn't it? Alexa, volume four. Um... That's still quite loud. Anyway, we'll get used to it, I'm sure. Or I can always shout at Alexa again. Alexa, volume four. I'm sure that's too loud for volume four. No, I, th- I think when I'm king, I'm going to make all the different channels uh, just have the same kind of volume controls. And especially uh, not that thing where it goes up when adverts are on. I mean, that that is an act of, um, uh, you know, sort of, cultural ear control that I think is egregious in the extreme um, and uh, Netflix does it on the trailers as well where you've just finished watching a thing and then you just go okay I'll just stop now and have a quiet life and then suddenly this thing blares at uh, twice more. I mean it's designed to irritate you I mean why would something a company whose service you pay for do something that is inconvenient to you just to hawk more of their words but it doesn't it doesn't make me want to do it anyway um Let's not get into that. Alexa, volume three, uh, while we're at it. So this is quite a long um, cut back to the sword fight, which has these slightly speeded up moments. So it's slightly comical. I wonder if I would forgive the new series if it did something, you know, sort of with its its tongue so firmly in its cheek. But Pertwee has such elegance um, and Delgado such charm that, it's not like anyone's dicking about. Uh, so I, I, it, I'm, I have double standards. You know, I, for, I, 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 will, I will forgive this for some of its, uh, uh, you know, deliberate sillinesses. 
Um, you saw Derek Ware's face there, but actually, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't count that as a gaffe because, you know, he goes over quickly enough, and the, he's got the beard and things going on. I, I, you know, I think you have to be looking quite carefully to spot Derek Ware. That so, of course, I've I've spotted where he is because I've looked very carefully. But I actually think it's it's very well done. That's a great cliffhanger. Um, quite a simple resolution. Um, you know, Trent Trenchard comes in, the doctor looks around, maybe it knocks the master's aim, whatever. But it doesn't matter. It's a really lovely. Um, Michael Bryant's camera work in this is superb. I I do like the. I am tickled by the whole moustache thing that the guards have. Um, <laughs> now one of the guards is Brian Gilmar, who's one of the sappers in Quatermass and the Pit. Um, who who you know credited part in Quatermass and the Pit and a reasonable role, but uh, ended up doing sort of uh, you know uncredited walk-ons. Uh, uh, extra you know extra work and uh uh died in the early 2000s and i had the equity brochure that had his brochure the death brochure no equity to a, a, a quarterly magazine which always lists um you know when people have died and um it was certainly early 2000s but i didn't keep those things in those days odd because i've kept some right tat over the years um so i've never uh quite got an exact date for him uh, but then again, equity sometimes lists somebody. They go, you know, news has reached us that so-and-so has died. And you go, yeah, that person died 25 years ago, but news has only just reached equity. So they, they listed um, George Cormack, who plays Campo, relatively recently in the past couple of years. I think he died about 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, you still sort of explain to Charlie Chaplin. And, and yeah, they, they yeah, anyway. Um, so, yes, uh, a glazed expression and a moustache is the order for the day if you want to be one of the guards in uh, in uh, in uh, Trenchard's prison. Um, so here we get to see what his, uh, you know, well, that, that he's up to no good, uh, having just been this sort of buffer. Uh, well, we, we knew that he was, he was clued, you know, he was in cahoots with the master, but now the doctor is onto it as well. Um... Oh, but because he's, I mean, he knows, I mean, there's a suggestion, isn't there, that um, the master's exerting a little bit of mental control. And, and and I suppose it's left up to us how much do we think, you know, this is wishful thinking on Trenchard's part because he's been kind of pensioned off to, to governor duties having, you know, uh, you know, bit, bit, whereas, you know, in his head, he's a, you know, he's a man of the empire, and he's now his empire is a, you know, a castle with one prisoner in it. Um, and I suppose we're left to to work out for ourselves, uh, you know, how how much uh, he's being duped by anything other than, you know, the, the master's guile rather than anything sort of metaphysical. Um, so yeah, the music. I wonder if Steve will choose the music. I don't, I don't actually remember this particular sequence from the from the from the from the suite. It's called a suite. Uh, that's an excellent shot of uh, the master's eyes through the through the um, looking glass. There, you get quite a few. Inch, you get the directors trying to do a lot of quite interesting things in the seventies. Um, I used to think of the Pertwee era as all being. Very similar, but actually, 
the different directors bring very good different visual styles. Um, now, this is, of course, the episode that, uh, where we uh, jump aboard the submarine. So there's lots to tell you there, because just like Steve Hatcher uh, brings his naval um, knowledge to this, uh, one of the patrons of these podcasts and uh, a gentleman with whom I correspond every now and again, Russell McPhillips, has written for Doc 2 magazine a few times, uh, and he's a, he's, a, he's a gentleman of military knowledge, uh, and he did loads of research into the submarine um, and and the fallout of what happened with the submarine, which for those who don't know, the, 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 there was always this sort of story that the BBC got into a bit of trouble uh, because of the uh, propeller used on the model submarine. I'd thought they bought a, a submarine from the shop and then just augmented it with a couple of propellers. But um, Rosser seems Rosser's digging seems to suggest they actually they that it, it was a sort of mixture of a, a, a built model and and stuff that they'd bought. Anyway, um, this is Donald Sumter looking very handsome with his beard and a full head of hair. He has previously been Enrico Casali in The Wheel in Space uh, and and was for a while one of those actors who went on to have a stellar career. He was in Titus Andronicus at the Royal Shakespeare Company with Brian Cox in that production that was sort of made Brian Cox. Um, I mean, Brian Cox was a well-respected actor prior to there, but it was a huge, I think Deborah Warner directed it, huge breakout production. Um, and then Sumter, who'd, who'd done some movies as well in the 70s. Um, he played the Black Panther, I think. Um, and, and bits and bobs of telly. But he was, a, he was a character actor who gradually sort of ascended up the ranks and is now, I think, you know, one of our uh, sort of bona fide, sort of leading, leading character actors, if you if you like. Um, uh, but but now you know he's 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 stayed sort of th- he has very sort of cadaverous features, but he's now lost lost his hair, so he has a sort of bald dome, and uh, uh, he got he got very nice billing in Game of Thrones, which is full of illustrious actors. Um, but but those credited at the end were all sort of in a big list of sort of five or six. But he got he got a single he got a single uh, uh, credit, uh, which uh, you know shows. Uh, some good negotiating on the behalf of his agent uh, and that he has a certain stature himself now, a lot of very illustrious actors didn't didn't get that at the end of game of thrones uh, and of course he returned to play rassilon uh, opposite peter capaldi um and, and really nice to see him back oh and he was in the sarah jane adventures as well so i love donald sumter i think he's a terrific actor he's um he's a regular with a uh, you know he's got he's got he's got a regular position in a football crowd i think you have a seat don't you if you're a, a season ticket holder in a football crowd i won't give away the, the team but a friend of mine sits a few doors down as it were and um uh and donald sumter is interviewed on the 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 DVD documentary for the Sea Devils and seems really chuffed to have been in Doctor Who, which I love that an actor of his stature um, is chuffed to have been in Doctor Who. And anyway, my friend asked him if he'd do my my podcast and he very politely just said, I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I don't really do interviews and stuff like that anymore, which is a shame because uh, I would, he, he'd definitely be very high on my list of, uh, of people that I would uh, very, very much like to interview. I almost got the opportunity to, to act with him. He played a a semi-regular, well, a, a recurring part in Holby City as the father of one of the regular characters. And uh, on one of her exit storylines sort of coincided, her near, yeah, her exit storyline, her near exit storyline coincided with w- w- when I was in a, a Christmas episode of Holby City. Uh, and I got very excited because 
I, I looked to see that that character who was in the script I was going to be in had previously been in it, played by Donald Sumter. So I was really excited. Uh, but he obviously wasn't available. And there was an actor who'd never been in Doctor Who. I was nonetheless excited to work with because he's a fine actor. Um, Ken Bones, who, of course, has since been in Doctor Who uh, in quite an important part, um, playing uh, playing the general in, uh, in a couple of episodes. Um, so... Uh, including some very important ones so um so uh you know so i preempted and i'd seen ken bones on stage he's a he's a fine fine actor uh talking fine actors here's david griffin who uh replaced pretty much simon cadell in heidi high uh and is a bit of a sitcom star in the uk uh one who another one who is not for interviews so this is a submarine of people who are not especially interested in being interviewed for Doctor Who. Lives in Portugal now, I think, David Griffin. Uh, but I remember being quite surprised uh, that he was uh, he was in The Sea Devils because I, I knew him as an actor and I not I thought, oh, I, I, you know, I not thought of him as somebody who'd been in Doctor Who. It was anyway, I was casually perusing a cast list that I, it was one of those ones that where suddenly everything came together. And I went, oh, no, he has. Oh, good. Um, oh, and this is Stanley McGee, who... Uh, is also a mustachioed guard in Colony in Space. So uh, he obviously gives good guard, and um, he lives in Australia now. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to interview him. He's, uh, come on, Australia, get him to a convention. Um, so, sorry, it's quite actor-heavy. So, I, yeah, so I'll get onto the submarine. So what happened with... Well, we'll see the submarine in a, in a bit, because there's obviously there's footage from... Uh, I remember uh, when I f first talked to sort of older Doctor Who fans about this story there's a few that are like well it's just like an advertisement for the Royal Navy and it, it's not really they use lots of good shots of boats and things and some stock footage but some of a lot of it specially shot using equipment that that's great it, it gives it a, a, a whole flavor all of its own and, and, and puts money on the screen which Doctor Who can so rarely get to do um, it's a typical Doctor Who fan that though, isn't it? They go, we we know that the Navy ma helped make this because they get a they get a caption slide, and so we're hardwired to almost go. So that is the thing we will criticise it for. Whereas actually, it really augments it nicely. That's a great shot. Goes goes to show how big this uh, this build building is. Uh, in fact, some friends of mine, friend of mine went to this building very very recently or is going i can't remember i've got so many friends who tell me that they're going to have the, on some sort of doctor who location visit but i remember thinking it was uh apt because i was in the middle of watching this story um oh i was yeah i i quite like that the music sort of tied in with with joe appearing at the window there mm. i love the way katie manning does that you you give some you give some chat and I'll come and overpower the guard. I like her little mime for chat there. That's very funny. Blink, bonk, blink, bonk. Um, how do we feel about... Do, do send in correspondence how we feel about the music. I think it works much better in the story than it did as a record. And I'm slightly embarrassed by the amount of hours I spent playing this on the turntable in an attempt to try and think I was entertaining myself because I wasn't. I thought it sounded horrible. Uh, uh, and and I, I mean, I've been walking in the park recently uh, listening to Murray Gold's music and thoroughly enjoying it because it's good music. But it also 
is quite exciting and there's some like all the strange strange creatures and some of them bum, 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 ba -dum, bum, bum, ba -dum. that is quite i walk i walk around feeling quite heroic when i listen to that and i don't care who admits it i think music can be a very evocative sometimes i listen to the hamilton soundtrack and i sing along to that in my head sometimes i even listen to eminem occasionally and uh and think the, these chicks don't know the name of my band and it makes me feel quite powerful uh, and sometimes I listen to 80s things bands that we sort of thought were a bit naff at the time that I'm now really uh, nostalgically drawn to but I don't I don't really feel the need to whack on uh, Doctor Who the music which I have on final upstairs but I think I can probably get the Sea Devil Sweeter is, is it on the 50th anniversary uh, thing I've got that as well, um, uh, but uh, I I don't I don't feel the need to get jiggy. And there is some with the sea with the sea devils, Funkarama, um, and, and 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 there is some I think Doctor Who incidental music that I think is listenable toable for pleasure. Um, although I'm 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 slightly embarrassed I'm admitting that out loud. Why? It's music. Yes, it's designed for a television program. I don't care if I listen to it and enjoy listening to it. I don't have to explain myself to anybody. Uh, but I, I, yeah. But of course, for Malcolm Clark's defence, uh, he was not composing it to be listened to all in one go whilst you're walking around the park or in your teenage bedroom, trying to think of other things to do when there's no such thing as um, home video and repeats and all of that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's it's not it's it's supposed to be a dramatic counterpoint or accompaniment to uh, the outlandish machinations of the the master and the uh, uh, and the sort of av avant-garde adventures of Doctor Who and the Sea Devils, um, and so and I, I so I I think I you know I think it gives just like the the location filming and particularly the naval stuff gives this a uh, uh, you know its own flavour. I, you see, I love the fact about the fact that Doctor Who in these days could go off piece a little bit. In that every, I've said this before, that Doctor Who doesn't necessarily travel through time and space. He travels from genre to genre. Now, I do think of the Pertwee era sometimes as quite samey, and yet there's a different visual and audio flavour to Day of the Daleks as there is to Curse of Peladon as there is to this. You know. Um, you know, this this Curse of Peladon's all in the studio. This has a bit of location. Uh, and the boats. Curse of Peladon has all those different monsters. Um, uh, this has, you know, underwatery stuff. Uh, Curse of Peladon has Dudley Simpson music. This has, you know, this has Malcolm Clark. Uh, Day of the Daleks has some really interesting and um, uh, experimental visuals from Paul Bernard cutting from you know in the vision mixing and the depth of field in the the, the, uh, the, the, the and, and the way that the sets are constructed to go right back to the back of the studio um, this is Christopher Ray uh, who is I think the only person who's ever been in Doctor Who to have a shop named after them that could be wrong but uh, I used to walk past Christopher Ray lighting uh, on Deansgate in Manchester and he and he had one in uh, he had one in London as well. Um, so there's there's the submarines. There's a lot to talk about here. Hang on though, because I love that. It's a bit that's a bit reminiscent of the beginning of the novel. Um, 
and I'm a sucker for somebody down a radio line um, calling in something scary and then you hearing them perish at the other end i think that's terribly dramatic and i like it very much it's a, it's a trope but there's a you know there's all sorts of you know it means you can't help the person you're helpless as you hear them struggling you can't see them so you imagine the terrible things that are happening because you can hear their voice you sort of get their personality a little bit you know yeah it works into and 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 you know the the camera is on the person that cannot do anything which which um emphasizes you know the helplessness i love all of that and then and it did a nice little uh, blur as well to get us out of that situation so i like i always like somebody stricken down down the line um but yeah Chris, christopher ray on the, the headphones he's back next week um he's also constable groom in the demons there's a few actors like christopher who, who don't always return for the same director um but who hang you know who come on in a, in a in a few small parts in the Pertwee era it's like so it's, you, know, you can understand it if they come back for the same director but there's like a little little sort of bevy of little character players who you know come back for two or three times for different directors and christopher ray i spoke to him on the phone he was one of the ones that got away he'd, he'd never been in any of the sort of old born reunions or anything like that so i'd assumed he wasn't really that bothered um but maybe it's because so many were um uh that that people sort of thought oh well we don't need to bother with the guy the guy who played the small part of the policeman because he's only in a couple of scenes on film so i i wrote to him got a lovely letter back um saying how he loved his time as an actor and uh, and i thought he'd be you know johnny big bollocks because he'd got shops he because what he around this time he was sort of buying up sort of bits of bric-a-brac and then selling them i think on a stall um you know doing up sort of antique lamps and things like that and then selling them at a profit and eventually he had his own shop in london and then his own shop in manchester as well christopher ray illuminations or whatever and was a very successful um you know proprietor of a very successful boutique sort of lighting place christopher ray shop um and i phoned him and he said oh yeah i'm just uh, i'm just about to do a deal at the moment and he was having his supper so i said oh, i'll phone you in a month and i but because the first phone call hadn't gone and he was fine he was lovely he wasn't didn't he wasn't annoyed i'd called or anything like that but it takes me so much i i'm it makes me feel physically sick phoning people up so the fact that i would then have to do it again having called at the wrong time the first time i i, I never did and then you know a year or so later he, he died he was on my list of people to to follow up uh and uh see that that's that's what helps when i was drunk you see because i'd have a couple of drinks and then I, then, I, then i'd pluck up the courage oh uh, <laughs> Um, I find phoning people really intimidating. Uh, so I'm in the wrong line of, I was going to say line of work. It's not, it's my hobby. It's, um, so yes, here we are. I love the Oh, and the best bit ever. That, ah, oh, I love Donald Sumter's um, wobbly eye acting. He, he shows that he's, you know, he's got this slight sort of twitch when he gets nervous. Um, uh, and, and, and so when we get this close up, he just does a little, he just does a little thing with his eye where he shows that uh, it's just a, a nice little touch. It's not too much that shows that he's, you know, when he's under pressure or when he's thinking about something, his eye just does a little sort of squinty thing. And I think it's just one of those tiny little moments that really helps that shot, that really helps sell the drama of that, which is already cool because it's somebody dying down the end of a radio. And you've heard what I like about that. Hello, Terry Walsh with a blonde moustache. Um... Uh, but I just think that little character touch from the actor, a top-notch actor, a brilliant actor, as has been proved, who, uh, you know, rather encouragingly for all of us, you know, didn't start at the top. He was playing decent parts, but, but very much doing sort of, you know, decent, good character work, but being 
jolly good in a you know you wouldn't have if you said who's going to be one of our leading actors in 2022 um would you have said if you if you'd looked at the sort of st- status of the parts would you have said enrico casali from the wheel in space and uh, commander ridgeway from the sea devils neither of which are, are leading parts in, in 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 the doctor who stories that they're in but you know persevering chipping away doing good work and you know he is he is a now a hugely hugely regarded actor and, and has been for many years and has done movies and and again you know s- s- single caption credit featured part you know uh, always working um that's the life well done donald sumter i really like donald sumter I wish you'd let me interview him, but I will not hold the fact that he doesn't want to be interviewed against him because he is a fine, fine actor. Um, oh, I love this shot of Trenchard and the Master because um, is there a photograph of that? It's it's just a very recognisable Doctor Who image. And in fact, uh, there's quite a lot from this sequence that's that's uh, recognisable, um, you know, and, and this is great. And and. Joe and the Doctor by the cliffs, and oh, and we're going to get the sea devil rising from the sea, aren't we? Um, oh, and, and and just the handy minefield, but of course, because they they had the clip of that, and I think the resistance is useless documentary. They had the clip from from next week. Um, so there's quite a, this is quite a famous Doctor Who sequence, but uh, of course, it's just the one sea devil. I think that's a great shot, though, and isn't that a brilliant design? I love that design. Uh, of the sea devil and it's just such a great image of it rising from the sea nice close-up nice on film that's a very simple sequence it's just uh, the doctor looking isn't it just doctor looking the guards pointing master and trenchard on the cliff one actor in a sea devil costume rising from the sea but it all makes for once again a fantastic cliffhanger a reminder to self cliffhangers might be my bonus thing commander ridgeway donald sumter um, uh, Christopher Ray, bless him. So yeah, he had a shop. Um, I do have his questionnaire somewhere though. I've never published it anywhere. Um, of him recording his time, recording his time with Doctor. And I, the, the one thing I remember from it is he's saying, "I loved my time as an actor." And he said, "Yeah, if you you know if you want any more, call me on this number." So it's there's a lesson: is if you think you know, oh, that person's never cropped up in documentaries or or, or done interviews or done conventions, they're probably not interested. It might just be that they haven't been asked. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I assumed because he was, you know, the guy with the shops, he, uh, he also might not be interested, but he was perfectly interested, but I chickened out. So I've got a lovely letter from him, uh, but I never got to interview him in person. And I think he'd have had a really interesting story to tell. So that's another one that got away. Um, anyway, um, so that was episode three of the sea devils and i know what my favorite thing is going to be it's going to be donald sumter's twitchy eye because i love it it's it's just a tiny acting detail so it's not a performance it's uh you know oh well his performance is great but it's that tiny detail and the way that it's used in that in that scene where he hears the person dying at the other end, which is, as I say, reminiscent of the opening chapter of the Sea Devils, which is so arresting when the SS Pevensey Castle goes down, and uh, uh, and you know we, we you know we see the Sea Devils um, in action, sinking ships, which we don't actually see in the story at all. That all has to be left to our imagination, and it, and there's something so grim about that because if you're in a boat and there's a hole in the bottom of it, you're you know, and you're at sea. 
you're in trouble, especially as if, uh, if you know, if you're trying to escape in the lifeboats that then they get burnt holes in bottom. I remember finding that, re- and I think because I'd read stuff about Titanic and things like that, there is something pretty sickening about being, you know, surrounded, you know, water, if, if you haven't got anything to, you know, be on in when you're on it what you know water is is death and cold and inky blackness and the unknown and it's scary and my goodness i find submarines really scary i mean this this one you know uh the the lighting is quite bright you don't get that feel there was a there was a series recently with saran jones said you know murder mystery set on a submarine i thought that was an excellent setting because you can't get off and you're underwater and if you want to get out of the building you're in as it were you're you're underwater and you know in trouble and i think a submarine is a great um uh you know atmospheric and claustrophobic setting you're confined in this space and i've been in my my dad lived in germany and i went to visit him only a couple of times but he took us around a you know they had a a, a u-boat that you could go around and it was so tiny and cramped and you banged your elbows on everything and just imagine being in there and underwater and confined and uh, and you know and of course you know if you know if if then anything happened you got hit or attacked or whatever you know it's you're just you're just done for oh god i find that um now that's not that's not particularly um apparent in in the depiction of the submarine here so um i think and i you know cold blood tries to do that with with its setting but i think i think there's still i think there's still a place probably for a really spooky horrible i mean almost too unbearable submarine setting to talk to sorry but but what that does effectively is is yeah it, it has the the something going on the other at the other end of the of the vessel uh and you can just hear it um and that's you know that's t- taking advantage of doctor who's limitations and uh and, and still doing it at, 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 you know effectively but in a different way from how you'd ideally do it which is to show loads of sea devils storming about the place killing people in exciting ways can't do that so it did that instead and as a result donald sumter went well if i do this wobbly thing with my eye that might show that uh, you know i'm uh, i'm having to keep it together but i i, I am a bit unnerved lovely little because he does it in one of the earlier scenes when we first see you know it's just got a slight it's got a slight little twitch uh Donald Sumter's wobbly eye. <laughs> now that's the name. That's I want there to be a horse. If there are any racehorse owners out there, I want you to christen your racehorse Donald Sumter's wobbly eye. Um, so now I have to find uh, what um, uh, the lovely Steve Hatcher has chosen uh, as his favourite thing of episode three of. The Sea Devils. So let's find out. Episode three, I've picked on the Doctor and the Master's sword fight. Uh, there's a definite dash of Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone here. Now, Delgado, of course, has done this sort of thing many, many times before. Uh, he had the fortune to uh, have that look. He was half Spanish and he had that look that made him look swarthy and sinister as as might have been said in uh, in a in a in another age uh, he played the spanish ambassador in the adventures of sir francis drake the itc adventure series and uh, many a sword fight in that and and here we go he resurrects those skills here pertwee with lots of ha hi 
and all the rest of it holds his own with him and uh, and and does a good job in fact the doctor seems to have the master beaten at one point but then inexplicably for whatever reason returns his sword to him it's as if he's enjoying the sport so much he forgets that this fight actually really does matter so the master and the doctor saw fight sword fight from episode three. Ah, oh, well i mean i i think i can have you on a technicality there steve and say it's from episode two and it's the reprise of episode three um but there's nothing in the rules to say you can't have that so um but i yeah but um and it is a great sword fight it is but i think you know it's it, 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 there's something about that gesture isn't it i've won but i will give him the sword back i wonder how many people died from that sort of following that sort of etiquette of going well i have disarmed him but uh, i would you know this needs to be a fair fight so i'll give you your sword back <laughs> uh, well it's not how you win fights terribly but but yes but i need to be seen to do it the proper way and that's that's always that that um uh, you know the, the the tug of war between doing the correct thing and and not not being daft um but um i i, I you know in in the safety of uh, of of a doctor who adventure the fact that we know that doctor who's not going to die means that um you know seeing him do the honorable thing shows what a jolly good chap he is um and you know none of those things um really are terribly logical the you know the eating of the sandwich the giving the sword back the the sort of light-hearted banter because sword fights are hard and dangerous and cut you and kill you and all sorts of things but it just works because it's a charming program with two charming protagonists Uh, it's a zesty fun adventure young people of today take note it's a zesty fun adventure uh uh, where where we we sort of laugh at danger in a way because that's what that's what good humor does as well um you know is it is it takes the terrible things in the world and uh undercuts them with with humor and with, with you know with zest which of course you you know uh, but it has to be contained within realism and and that works be- in this because nobody's sending it up because the actors are effortless and charming and because everybody is 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 doing their best in the other areas like the military stuff um and the monster design and all that sort of stuff which which then contains those moments of charm and makes them work i think it's just so wonderfully judged but it may just be that's because i'm predisposed to like it because it's a classic from days of yore before i was born and you know everything before i was born was better so i was predisposed to but was i i don't know um because I went through a phase of being a bit underwhelmed, as I've discussed a lot in this podcast, from you know what the target books led me to expect of a story and what they were actually like. But I am loving the Sea Devils. I think I struggled for about the first five minutes of today's podcast um, because I, I think just to get back into rhythm. But uh, I, I, I think I did. I think I finally got there. And we talked about some interesting things. So, I'd, so did the story maybe tread water a little bit uh, at the beginning? Well, it was a long reprise, wasn't it? But actually, that was Steve's favourite bit. So, what do I know? Anyway, um, that was the end of episode three of the Sea Devils. Thanks to Ross and McPhillips. I'll talk more about the submarine in the next episode. But um, I would direct you to his articles in Doctor Who magazine. He's, you know, he's somebody with a specialism, and he started writing about you know, the Doctor Who production team's real life um, 
correspondence or reactions from or liaisings with um, the military or the navy, you know, the armed forces. Uh, and it's yielded some really interesting results. And, uh, and the, the article that he did about the submarine, it's got a quote from Rupert Allison, who's the ex, uh, I think he's an ex-MP now and spy writer. Um, uh, and I always love it when somebody who's sort of excelled in a field somewhere else uh, is quoted in Doctor Who magazine, talk, you know, giving an opinion on some little arcane detail of Doctor Who because that's where expertise, their expertise comes in. I love all of that. Um, it was like when Roy Hatters is on the... Uh, the DVD of uh, documentary of uh, on Doctor Who and the Silurians. I love that. Some somebody thought to go. Why don't we interview Roy Hattersley? And I went to Roy Hattersley getting there to go. They want me to talk on a Doctor Who DVD. How marvelous! <laughs> I love that. Um, and it just goes to show, you know, not not you know not just looking at Doctor Who through a very narrow and limited prism, but uh, but opening it out and expanding our you know experiences. Uh, it's great, great you know great to hear beyond that love that anyway so i'm thrilled by all aspects of the sea devils and even some aspects of that are nothing to do with the sea devils um well done doctor who well done the sea devils uh boo steve um because <laughs> you chose something that originated last week um but that's allowed um I- i'm still going i'm 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 still happy i chose donald sumter's wobbly eye uh, so with that in mind uh, I'm going to scream down the line to you now, helplessly, uh, and say that it's the end of episode three, and happy times and places to you all. Ta-ta! Thanks ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, with a twitchy eye, and my special guest, Steve Hatcher, who is on Twitter at stevenph underscore Hatcher. I would like to thank him and the various patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Joel Ahrens, Mark Aldridge, Kit Allen, Sebastian April, Tilt Oriza, Simon Ash, Richard Alt, Stephen Bamford, Richard Bignall, Peter Blackett, Robin Bland, Kyle Bores, David Brody, Nigel Bromley, Hugh Buchtman, Tim Burrows, Anthony Carroll, Phil Chapman, Ralph Chilton, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Mark Clues, Graham Cooley, Charles Coffin, Simon Coling, Paul Colnaghi, Ben Cook, Martin Cook, Matt Corner, Paul Cornell, Leslie Coots, Ben Cowdell, Peter Crocker, Philip Craggs, Lee Kremin, Dave Curran, Simon Curtis, and Paul Philip Dalgren. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Oh, nearly ran out of breath there. Um, so thanks to those patrons who uh, make these podcasts possible and ensure that they are ad-free. Isn't it nice not to be interrupted by me stopping going, hang on, I need to stop talking about submarines. Do you like shaving? I've got a manly shaving thing here and you get 10% off if you type in Toby Shaves when you get, you know, none of that. So please go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke and you can save me from shaving for money. <laughs> uh, and it's a monthly commitment from as little as £3 a month and you get 10% off even that uh, if you sign up for a year in one go. That does tie you up to a year but you'll have forgotten you've paid it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, there are various tiers Um I don't mean because you start crying, because you hear my voice too often. There are tiers of sort of rewards uh, for um, a sort of 
higher feed subscription but actually you get most things at the lowest tier because i i just can't i can't withhold things there are a couple of little goodies but um they go right up to um, well a million pounds if you want to pay that nobody has yet for some surprising reason um but look if you can't commit to a monthly thing and i totally understand that there's also the ko-fi option which is ko-fi.com forward slash toby haydoke where you can just uh, chuck me a few pennies should you ever feel inclined to do so Oh, I'd love it if you could spread the word about these, especially if you live in the United States of America or Canada or Australia, where I have a small pocket of loyal listeners, but I always feel I could do slightly better there because I sound like those people in those countries expect English people to sound, and I think I need to capitalise upon that. I'm in a slightly odd situation because I recorded the bulk of this, you know, the obviously the watching of the episode, before we found out who the new Doctor Who is. If you're a non-patron, by the way, this is old news, but uh, patrons get these things almost, you know, went hot off the press. Whereas um, one of the disadvantages of not being a patron is that certainly Happy Times and Places always six months behind. So... I mean, we may have a we may have a fifteenth Doctor by now. I'm sure we haven't. So um, anyway, yeah, this is the first piece of sort of um, topping and tailing that I've recorded uh, since finding out who the new Doctor Who is. Um, so welcome, Shuti Gatwa, uh, and uh, the next episode, episode four, I recorded when. I had found out who the new Doctor is. So that's just to place us in the timeline and chronology of the development and history of Doctor Who. I wonder if this this may even go out to non-patrons after the centenary special. So, um, you know, this is what you're missing out on. Um, and if you've, if, you've, if you've decided to listen this far, right to the bitter end of the podcast, think of all the unnecessary material you could be claiming for as little as £3 a month. I'll stop. I sound like a hustler. I'm terrible at it. Uh, I'm just glad you're listening. I really am. Uh, yeah, uh, so this is normally, this is a bit where I sort of say something, well, I have said something trivial and unrelated, but I, I haven't said rate these five stars on iTunes um, so please do that. It costs you nothing. Um, all right. I'll st- I, I feel dirty now. I'm going to have a shower. A metaphorical one. I had a perfectly proper shower this morning, so I don't actually need a, you know, a cleansing shower, but I, I do need a metaphorical shower, which I shall hop into now. Can you hear that piano, by the way? It still bothers me, that next door and his piano. It's very loud from where I'm sitting. As I say, you probably can't hear a thing. 